0: Alright, let's turn to 1 Peter. We're actually going to finish, I think. It is kind of late, so had a lot of special announcements and so forth today. Going to, hoping to finish the first chapter of 1 Peter. I do want to read the verse that we finished with last week, verse 22. And then we'll also read verses 23 through 25, which we'll be covering today. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. That's where we left off last week. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is grass, is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word today. We're so thankful for it. Lord, we pray that if time allows, we could finish this chapter. But regardless, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts, that you would empower the teaching of your word that we would all learn and grow and, be, and come closer to you today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So coming off of this very important verse about sincere love, unfeigned love. We talked about it last week, without wax. How they would, the ancient potters, when they would fire their pots and their bowls and cups and vessels, if they happened to get a crack... Well, they couldn't sell them then. They wouldn't hold water. You ever heard that expression, that doesn't hold water? So, in order to increase their profits and reduce their losses, they would fill these vessels with the cracks with wax, then paint the vessel and sell it. But it was fake. It was uh, insincere, without wax. Sinicera in the Latin, with wax. Insincere without wax and we're to have not fake love but sincere love for one another fervently intense and uh, that's a challenge for us isn't it but that's what we're called to as believers to have an intense hot love if you will for one another and peter goes on now he says having been born again Jesus taught that we must be born again if we are to see and to enter the kingdom of God. The new birth is essential. The only way we can possibly have this agape love, the unconditional love for one another, is by being born again, being filled with the Spirit of God. Now, human beings have all different kinds of love. There's eros, the Greek word, which is for carnal love fleshly love lust desire eros which isn't used in the new testament phileo from where we get our english word philadelphia brotherly love that is in the new testament we saw last week that both words were used first of all the brotherly love the philadelphia the phileo and then the agape Well, people in the world are able to have eros. There's no doubt about that. There's a whole lot of eros going on. Uh, There's a lot of brotherly love out there. But the only way to have that unconditional agape love, you must be born again. You must be filled with the Spirit of God. John 3, uh, verses 1 through 3, when Jesus has his nighttime encounter with Nicodemus. Hence, the original Nick at night. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Again, he was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Council of the Seventy. Almost all of those men hated Jesus. So Nicodemus probably went by night so as to remain unseen so that he wouldn't get in trouble with his fellow Pharisees. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus was an open-hearted, open-minded man, unlike many of his contemporaries, who could see very clearly that Jesus had to be from God. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. Literally, it means born from above. Everybody here today has been born from below, from the earth. We've experienced physical birth. I hope and pray that everyone here today has also been born from above. But there are two separate things. Born from above or can also be translated born anew. The new birth. Jesus said, you have to be born again or you can't see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus is kind of scratching the surface. He's knocking at the door. He says, Jesus, we know you're a good teacher from God. But Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus, there's more to be known than what you now know, Nicodemus. I'm not just a good teacher. I am the Son of God. I am God in the flesh. And he goes on in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again? or born when he is old. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now this tells us another thing, that even though Nicodemus was a seeker, he was open, open open-hearted, open-minded. He was seeking the truth. He certainly did not have a great deal of spiritual depth and understanding because when Jesus talked about being born from above, being born again, Nicodemus only thought of a physical birth. He thought, I'm not going to be able to fit back in there again from whence I came. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water. There's about four different interpretations of this part. I believe Jesus simply means when a baby is born, the first sign that you're about to give birth is the the water breaks, right? The amniotic sac bursts and usually there's a puddle on the ground if your wife is standing up. Puddle on the seat if she's sitting down. Born of the water and of the spirit. The water is physical birth. The spirit is spiritual birth. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, some people say it's baptism, but again we're having a baptism tonight and we do believe that we're supposed to follow the Lord in baptism. It's one of only two things we're commanded in the New Testament to do, to take communion and to be baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. It's the outward public expression of the salvation you already have. So I reject that interpretation that this refers to water baptism. I believe it speaks of physical birth and spiritual birth. He cannot enter. First of all, Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And then within a few verses, he tells Nicodemus, and you also cannot enter it unless you're born again. God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. We entered this world through physical birth and the Bible teaches that this world is Satan's domain. He is the prince of this world. So when you're born physically you have the ability and the capacity to see the kingdom of darkness. Anybody seen that lately? It's all around us. But to see the kingdom of God and to enter the kingdom of God you must be born again. Having been born again, Peter says. There's no way we can ever hope to be and to do what Peter describes in verse twenty two unless we've been born again. Let me read verse twenty two again Since you've been purified since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Several things here that Peter touches on Purifying our souls, obeying the truth, the Word of God. "...through the Spirit, loving one another fervently with a pure heart." All of these things are the result of the new birth. And I believe we touched on the fact last week that the the truest indicator that someone has been truly born again is that these things are manifesting in their life. We talked about spiritual maintenance, purifying our souls. Yes, initially, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior... He washes you. He cleanses you from all your sins. But we are then charged with the maintenance of our souls, the purifying of our souls by doing these things. By obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. The new birth is not the result of some religious act. Like taking communion, although we are commanded by the Lord, He says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of Me until I come again. We are given that uh, commandment or that ordinance of communion and baptism. But doing these things purely as a religious act, taking communion, being baptized, saying the rosary, if you're a Catholic... Going through catechism, and I guess there's other denominations besides the Catholic church that have various forms of catechism. Uh, In the Protestant churches, we we go to Sunday school, and that's a good thing. Walking on hot coals, there are some groups that do that, right? And if you can do it without burning your feet, that means you're really spiritual or really stupid. (laughs) Handling snakes, there are some groups that do that. And on and on it goes. But the new birth is not the result of some religious act. You remember when Elijah the prophet confronted the 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? Remember that? And um, they had the, the um, offering there and they saturated it with water and they dug a trench around it and filled that with water because they were going to see which god the God of Elijah or the God of these false prophets, which God would send down fire from heaven to consume this offering, that would be the true God. And so they got it as wet and soggy as they possibly could. Have you ever tried to light wet wood? Doesn't work. And so these guys get to go first. Elijah graciously, Oh, after you. <laughs> And try as they might, of course they couldn't call down fire from heaven because their God was a false God. And they got so upset and so frustrated, they began to run around in circles and cut themselves and bleed. You know what? That's not going to result in the new birth. Jesus was already cut and already bled on your behalf. Nor is the new birth achieved by being a good person. In fact, although none of us here today would encourage bad behavior, uh, often the good person, quote, is the hardest person to reach. You know, sometimes being a, quote, good person can be a major drawback. Because you don't think you need God. You think you're already okay. And you compare yourself with others around you. I've never done this. I've never done that. I'm a good person. Surely God will accept me. The only problem, God's standard, God's level is perfection. And anything short of perfection doesn't cut it. Pardon the expression, we just talk about cutting. Mark 10 18. This young man comes to Jesus, calls him good, good master, good teacher. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. So even the person that thinks they're good isn't really good. Romans 3.10 As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Because in God's sight, anything short of perfection is unacceptable. Because He's perfect. The term sin comes from an Old English archery term. You probably know this. It means to miss the mark. It means the target's out there and you're aiming for it and your arrow winds up over here in your buddy's forehead. William, tell you or not. And when Jesus said that to the young man, he was not denying the fact that he was good. What he was doing was sending the young man a message. No one is good but one. That is, he was telling the young man, I'm God. You're calling me good and I accept that because I am God in a subtle sort of a way. John 1.12 As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name. See, there's this universalist belief system and philosophy that all men are children of God. You know, we are the world, you know. Love, peace, rock and roll, long hair, Woodstock. No, we're born into this world in sin. We are born into this world children of the devil because the devil is the God of this world. He's the prince of this world. And we only become children of God by receiving Jesus Christ. What does it mean to receive Him? It means to accept Him for who He is, who He claims to be, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But many people today are not receiving Jesus they're creating their own Jesus. Instead of recognizing that we are created in God's image, they're creating God in their own image. And that's pretty scary. Receiving Him means that you acknowledge Him for everything that He says He is. Not just a good man, not just a good teacher, not just one of the many incarnations of the Christ consciousness, not another great guru, He is the Son of the living God, God incarnate, God in the flesh. And if you receive Him, that means you receive Him for all that He is and all that He says He is. The crucified, risen Son of God. Some people will buy into everything but the resurrection. Oh, I just can't buy that. I know He's a good man. I think He has some great things to say. But I don't believe this resurrection stuff. Guess what? You haven't received Him. With Jesus it's all or nothing. You receive him for who he is or you don't receive him at all. Don't try to make him into who you want him to be. That won't work. That will not result in the new birth. As many as received him, to them he gave the right. You don't have a right to call yourself a child of God until you humble yourself before the living God and you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior, the one who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead on the third day. You don't have a right to call, him, call yourself a son of God otherwise. He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. What is His name? Yeshua in the Hebrew. And it means God is our salvation. When you believe in His name, that means you believe He's God. And that He saves you from your sin. Okay, let's move on. Peter says you've been born again not of corruptible seed. Now something that we've learned as a result of modern scientific exploration and uh, tremendous strides in the field of science and so forth, biology, is that when the Bible speaks of seed, now we know in a more general sense it's talking about the male and female elements contributed by our parents resulting in our conception The seed. But it talks about our DNA, our genetic makeup. And Peter says, you've been born again, not of corruptible seed. The seed handed down by our parents can be traced all the way back to Adam and Eve. And that seed has been corrupted because of the fall of man. Sin is passed on through the male bloodline, through Adam. God held Adam accountable and Adam responsible for the sin of both he and Eve. And so, it's interesting, the more they study the field of DNA and genetics and so forth, they're finding that certain behaviors and activities can actually alter your genetic makeup. And so, The secular worldly viewpoint, however, is that, well, someone is, for example, homosexual because it's in their genetic makeup. But then that creates a problem because, all right, well, what if somebody else is a murderer because it's in their genetic makeup? Or someone's a rapist. Well, then you can't hold them responsible or accountable, now, can you? It's not their fault. They were born that way, and that's the message going out today, but they only use it when they want to use it. They only want, use it for the sins that they want to justify. But here's the reality, and I believe this to be true with all of my heart, that sinful activities result in an alteration of a person's genetic makeup. When you habitually practice certain sinful behaviors, the things begin to change in your genetic makeup, in your brain. And that could be one of the reasons why statistically, there have been studies done on this, statistically by the time someone turns 70 years of age. Now God is a God of miracles. He can do anything. There are people who get saved later in life. But on the average, statistically, very interesting since the Bible give promises of 70 years on the earth, isn't it? By the age of 70 there is zero percentage chance of someone being born again. It does happen from time to time. But I think we all know how hard it is to reach someone who's advanced in years. Have you ever met someone and you can almost sense that they want to know God, but there's a blockage. They just can't do it. When you continually close your ears to the Holy Spirit, and when you continually close your heart and mind to the Word of God, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, your heart becomes harder and harder and harder. And other things are happening internally, I believe, that get a, bring a person to a place where, apart from an amazing... I mean, it's always a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit when anybody comes to Christ. But the longer they put it off... The harder it is. I think we all praise God for deathbed conversions, don't we? You know, some people scoff at that. Oh yeah, now that he's dying, he accepts Christ. I'll, I'll take it all day long. Right? And so will they. Because they want to be in heaven. We can we can mock it, we can scoff at it, we can criticize it. I believe there are some people that get saved halfway between life and death. Nobody even knows about it but them and God. Because that's how gracious God is. That's how merciful God is. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 So just being good is not good enough. The wages of sin is death. If you live your life in sin, ignoring God, rejecting God, doing your own thing, going your own way, at the end of the day, what will be your paycheck? Death. Eternal separation from God in the fires and the torment of hell. (gasps) They say that in this church? They say hell? Fire? (gasps) That doesn't make me feel good. I'll tell you what, you think that doesn't make you feel good? Wait till you get there. And you'll be wishing you would listen. Well, I'm sorry, that's going to be my new phrase now. I used it three or four times last week. That doesn't make me feel good. So get used to it. Not of corruptible seed. Psalms five. Our seed has been corrupted because of the fall of man. Psalms 51, five. King David, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. This is the mighty King David. Mighty warrior, shepherd, psalmist, worshiper, man after God's own heart, kind of a ladies' man. That wasn't necessarily one of his stronger points. But it, he was, you know, quite the guy. And yet what does he say? I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Now you know why David was a man after God's own heart. Because he recognized that he was a vile, wretched sinner in the womb. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. The seed, the corrupted seed. And then Jesus told these great religious men called the Pharisees in John 8, 44, you are of your father The devil. Really? The so-called spiritual leaders of Israel? You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Gee, that tells me the Pharisees had not been born again. And Jesus says, you're of your father the devil. And Peter says, you've not been born again by corruptible seed. What good would that do? We've already been there, done that. But incorruptible. The new birth requires what? Incorruptible seed. Incorruptible DNA. Where are we going to get that from? Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's another name for Jesus. And what does that name mean? It means God with us. You see, only God has incorruptible seed. Therefore, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. She became with child by the Holy Spirit. No male human DNA. Therefore, Jesus had incorruptible seed. And when we're born again by the Spirit of God, we receive that same incorruptible seed. John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, big W, Jesus. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And you go down to verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The only begotten. But now the Bible says He's the first fruits of all those who believe. So now, there are more fruits to follow. And all of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Savior of our souls and are born again by the Spirit of God are now born again by that incorruptible seed. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Mary was supernaturally impregnated with the seed of God and brought forth the perfect God-man, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Savior of the world. And then in between those verses, John 1.12, as we already read, I want to read it again. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. Romans 10, 13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, having been born again, not with corruptible seed, but with incorruptible. And then Peter says, Through the word of God. Just as in John chapter 1, here the word is Logos. And both the written word of God and Jesus himself are Referred to in the scriptures as the Logos. Jesus is revealed to us through the word of God. He is the Logos. God's word is the Logos. Jesus is the word. You see how it all works? Logos is a word as embodying an idea, a statement, a speech. It's a statement through his written word, the holy scriptures, and through His Son, Jesus Christ, God has spoken to the world. Some people say, well, I'd like to know God, but He's never talked to me. Did you ever read the Bible? Because that is His Word. He speaks the Logos, and when you read the Logos, and you believe it, and you receive Jesus, who is also the Logos, guess what? God speaks to you. You don't have to have some kind of Ooh, wee, ooh, wee, ooh. Supernatural. Taos, hum. Now, down through history, God has spoken to people, prophets, so forth. People have received what the Bible talks about, words of knowledge and so forth. Prophetic utterances. I believe the New Testament form of prophecy, in the Old Testament, prophecy was foretelling future events. In the New Testament, prophecy is foretelling the word of God, teaching and preaching the word of God in a way that has an impact in the heart and mind of the listener. But anyone who wants to hear from God can hear from God, and the thing is, sometimes you don't know if you had a divine revelation or you had a bad piece of pizza. But you can always rely upon and trust in God's Word. So if you say God doesn't talk to you, my suspicion is you probably don't read the Bible. If you're born again, you've got to get born again. Born anew, the new birth, by the Spirit of God, incorruptible seed, Holy Spirit living inside of you. And then when you read the Bible, oh, now I get it. See, there was never a problem with the Bible... Oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. The Bible's ridiculous. It's a bunch of fairy tales. It makes no sense whatsoever. The Bible is not the problem. It's your twisted, warped brain that is the problem. But when you get that fixed by being born again and filled with the Spirit of God, all of a sudden, things start to make sense. Because this may come as a shock and a surprise to some of you, but the one who wrote the book, the Bible, is a lot smarter than you are. So if there's a problem with understanding or interpretation, I guarantee you it doesn't lie with the author. Okay? Get it? Okay. Romans 10.8-9 What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we preach, says Paul. The word of faith that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, That God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Down to verse 14. Uh, How shall they call on him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And again, there are those who say, oh, we don't need churches, we don't need preaching and all this stuff, you know. I just go out into the woods and watch the squirrels, and that's how I get close to God. Eat a few pine nuts. Hang out with the spirit of Yule Gibbons. Most of you probably don't even remember Yule Gibbons. Many parts of the pine tree are edible. (laughs) How can they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? This is encouraging. This is job security. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. Now God can reach anyone, anytime, anywhere, any way that He chooses. But the primary means by which God reaches people is through the preaching and teaching of His Word. Either in a more formal, I hesitate to use that word here. <laughs> formal is hardly applicable in this church. But in a, in a more relaxed setting, You talking with someone, sharing with someone one-on-one, small home fellowship, wherever it might be. God can reach anybody, anytime, anywhere. Romans 1 says that God speaks through the creation. But by and large, I think it's safe to say, as we look at the globe and we see the believers all over the world, many who are under severe persecution today, the vast majority have come to Christ because somebody went and told them. And they just didn't go tell them what they wanted to hear, or whatever the popular doctrines of the day were. They brought them the scriptures, the word of God, the gospel of Christ without alteration. That's what has the power to save. Hebrews one and one and two. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers, the fathers, he's speaking of the Old Testament fathers. By the prophets. Yeah, large portions of the Old Testament were written by the prophets. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. Jesus is the co-creator with God the Father. He is the Word, the Logos. And in these last days, God has spoken to us Through his son Jesus, but not by Jesus' calling, okay? Not by these books that people claim, oh, God told me this. The only thing I'm gonna trust in is the Holy Bible. I know God spoke through those guys. The rest, I don't know. In fact, in a lot of cases, I know he didn't, okay? So we're not talking about modern scriptures modern revelation, we're talking about the Holy Bible. Jesus, the Logos, is revealed to us through the written Logos. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, by the life of Christ here on the earth, by the Gospels, by His death on the cross and His resurrection, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. The knowledge and understanding of these things, folks, is absolutely essential for all human beings if we are to see and enter the kingdom of God and escape damnation and the eternal fires of hell. That's the truth. And this idea today that somehow we can soft-soap or soft-sell people into the kingdom is hogwash. Without the Word, the Scriptures and Jesus himself. They're both the Word. They're both the Logos. Without the Word, without the Scriptures, without Jesus himself, we would not and could not know and would be lost forever. That's why it's important. Some people, oh, I don't want to get into all this doctrinal stuff. It just divides us. Yeah, Paul said, there must be divisions among us to prove who's accepted by God. Yeah, it is divisive. The truth is divisive. Uh, It got Jesus crucified. Get it? Verse 24, our last verse today. 24. Because, okay, born again, not with corruptible seed, but with incorruptible seed through the word of God, because all flesh is as grass. We all know about grass. Grass. My front yard starts out in the spring. It's all gorgeous and green and lush. And I have this huge giant plum, one of those ornamental plum trees. It's the biggest one I've ever seen in my life. I don't know what happened. The thing is gigantic. And as that thing begins to leaf out and then the plums get on there and then they begin to fall on the ground, it just trashes my front yard. And I fight it all summer long. Keep reseeding, reseeding, you know. Grass has its season in the sun, does it not? And then it dies. It's temporary. It's perishable. If we are only born once, only born of the flesh, then we will perish. Because all flesh is as grass. Why do we, is it absolutely essential that we're born again of incorruptible seed? Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. It's interesting here that Peter mentions the glory of man. Even in our fallen state, as the highest of God's creation, we're the only ones that Jesus died for. Now, the good deal is, all of creation came under the curse, and so when we are redeemed, ultimately all of creation will be restored. But Jesus didn't die for the trees and the plants and all. He died for us. The glory of man... Even in our fallen state, man has a certain glory about him. Again, but in our fallen state, that glory just tends to get us in trouble because we tend to worship and idolize and glorify human beings who can't handle it and are not worthy of it. You know what happens when you idolize and glorify a human being? It usually winds up destroying them. You look at all the tragic lives of the Celebrities, the movie stars, the rock stars and so forth. And even people in the uh, political and economic world, many times their lives end tragically, prematurely. We can't handle being worshipped because we're corrupted. Only God is to be worshipped. But man has a certain glory about Him. Because we're created in His image. But our glory, as Peter states here, the glory of man... Is as the flower of the grass. Our glory is temporary. We will fade. We will die. Keep looking in the mirror and you will see that your flower is fading. It's like the old uh, Mr. Mom movie where the little boy refuses to give up his blanket. He calls it a whooby. And at one point, Michael Keaton goes to him and says, Your whooby's looking bad, bud. It's all tattered and worn. It's time to get rid of the woobie. Well, when you keep looking in the mirror, you're going to find out your woobie's looking bad too. The grass withers and its flowers fall away, and so does fallen mankind. But the word of the Lord endures forever. The Logos. Now this is the word which the gospel was preached to you, by which by the gospel was preached to you. The word of the Lord endures forever. Every word spoken by God has eternal value, meaning, and purpose. Can we say that about the words of men? Not so much. He has not ever, nor shall he ever, speak even one idle, meaningless word. Matthew 4, 3, and 4. Now when the tempter came, Satan came to Jesus. He said, if you are the Son of God. He knew that Jesus was the Son of God. He's tempting Him, testing Him. Prove it. Command that these stones become bread. Because Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. At that point, the human body begins to die if you don't feed it. A a man can go 40 days without food, and then he begins to die. But he answered and said, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by some of the words that proceed from the mouth of God. Is that what it says? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Scriptures are God's message to the world concerning His Son, who is the Word. Hebrews thirteen eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Word. The Word of the Lord endures forever. You see how this works? Now this is the Word which by the Gospel was preached to you. Most people don't know this, understand it, Or even want to hear it. Listen to what I'm about to say. There is only one word. Big W. The Logos. The written word of God. Jesus who is the word. There's only one word. One gospel. One God. One Lord. And folks. Again. Most people don't want to hear this. There is no margin for error. If you come to me and say. Well maybe there's more than one word. Maybe there's more than one gospel. Maybe there's more than one God. Maybe there's more than one Lord. Then everything is lost. There's no margin for error. Ephesians 4, 4, and 5. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Of course, it makes sense in light of these truths that Satan, the prince of this world, would come up with many false paths and belief systems in order to lead as many people astray as possible. Don't you think? He's going to spend eternity in hell, folks. And he knows it. He hates the human race because of God's great love for us and he wants to drag as many people to hell with him as he possibly can. So he'll do anything he can. If atheism works with this person, then he's going to work on the atheism. If it's you know, agnosticism, if it's any ism you can think of, whatever will work with that individual, that's the card he's going to play. And since there's 52 cards in the deck, it's no surprising that there are a multitude of false belief systems out there. And most people would rather believe anything than the truth. Galatians 1, 6 through 8. Paul is writing to the Galatians, Gentile believers who had been hoodwinked by these Jewish false teachers, telling them they had to obey every aspect of the Old Testament law in order to be saved, undermining Paul's message of salvation by grace through faith. And he writes to them, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different place gospel you mean it's possible that there could be a different gospel which is not another What she's saying there's there are no alternative gospels but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of christ but even if we listen to this because how many people have laid this claim even if we or an angel from heaven i saw an angel and he told me this Preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. There's some pretty popular people out there that are on the, the road to perdition right now because they're preaching another gospel. And they might have all the bells and whistles here on earth. That's okay. I'll take my pie in the sky by and by. I'm sorry, God said it, not me. Those who alter, change, twist, or pervert the gospel of Christ are cursed by God, plain and simple. An angel from heaven. Wow, I wonder who that might be. 2 Corinthians eleven, thirteen, 13 and 14. Paul is talking about false teachers. He says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light, and there you go. An angel told me, "Okay, I'll stick with the Word of God." Thank you very much. Galatians one nine through twelve. As we have said before, so now I say again: If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, received from Paul, received from the apostles, received from the Scriptures. Not the new international mangled version. I made that up. The new international mangled version of the Bible. Let him be accursed, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Wait a minute. Paul is called to preach the gospel, but he's not out to please men. Really? That's interesting. For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So guess whose job it is to save people? It's not mine. It's His. My job is to obey Him, to be faithful to Him, to preach the true gospel. Whether you like it or not. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. It's not according to Rick Warren or Joel Osteen or Mark Driscoll or Rob Bell or any of these other fake, phony preachers. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Divine revelation, the Spirit of God speaking to Paul. I don't lay claim to that same level of inspiration. Therefore, I rely upon the inspired Word of God as my guide. How about you? Amen. Those who claim the Bible can be interpreted many different ways have obviously never read it. <laughs> it is I believe it's clear, concise, and straightforward, especially when it comes to the gospel. Second Peter one twenty and twenty one, and then we're done. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture, not your prophecy, not my prophecy, any prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Brother, I'm going to show you some things you have never seen before. No, thank you. I don't want to see that. I want to see what's already been seen. You know, it's just like these secret societies, like the Masons and so forth, It's just like the Democratic Party. We can't tell you what's in the bill until you pass the bill. We're not going to read it first. We're going to pass it. No, God's not like that. God makes that which is hidden known. Get it? No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is the only truly 100% absolutely reliable word of God. Lord, not our feelings, not our opinions, not our emotions. Not the many false doctrines flying around out there. Thank you for your divinely inspired word of God that you've given to us. And we thank you for Jesus who is the word. That your word reveals him to us. That we might know the truth and we might believe and we might be born again and we might receive incorruptible seed and we might be forgiven of our sins and we might live forever. Thank you God. Father, forgive us for if even for a moment we bristle, we chafe at these things, that we are looking for more options, more pathways. Lord, we thank you that you made a path. You didn't have to. You could have left us in darkness. You could have left us in our trespasses and sin. But you loved us so much, you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross that we might live forever. Father, we pray if there's anyone here this morning who has not taken that step of faith, has not believed in you and received you, and been born again. And so therefore, they're not able to see the kingdom, they're not able to enter the kingdom. But Lord, there may be someone here today who wants to see your kingdom, who wants to enter your kingdom, who wants to receive the right to be called a child of God. We ask you to touch their heart today and draw them to yourself. Pray that they would come forward and receive Christ today as Lord and Savior. Father, for those who might need healing, those who need guidance and direction, those who need provision, whatever it is, Lord, we know that whatever we need, you have it. You know what we need better than we do. So we ask in these closing moments, you would just minister, pour out your spirit, and all those who have a desire to come and receive from you today would be blessed. And we pray that we would go today in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.